Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on I'm this. <laughs> people that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, Right. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Waddingham, and this is Hustle Rule an audio docuseries featuring the untold stories of women soccer players around the world, based on the book Under the Lights and in the Dark, written by Gwendolyn Oxenham. When I first started on Game of Thrones, my baby daughter was only nine weeks old. I mean, I was so happy to have landed this role and so confident to be back on set. But the very first day of shooting, I had this horrific postpartum reaction. I was literally sobbing on the floor in the corridor of the hotel, thinking, I don't think I can walk away from her and leave her in the room with my friend. But I made myself get up and do it. And on set, as I pushed my beloved friend Lena Headey down the stairs to start Queen Cersei's Walk of Atonement, I could hear my baby crying behind a building. It was the first time I'd been away from her and my body just like, just reacted and I ached to be with her. And yet I also had that wanting to step up feeling to just be able to knock it out of the park where you're like, I am going to be as good as I was before, maybe even better. And I'm going to show you. So when I heard the stories in this episode, I just felt so much of a connection. No matter what profession you're in, as a mother... There's that twofold desire to move earth for your child and to keep your dreams. It's the reason that when I won my Emmy for Ted Lasso, I put it in my daughter's room because I wanted her to know that when I leave her, I don't take it lightly and I will only ever be away for a damn good reason. In the world of women's soccer, the United States' Joy Fawcett and Carla Overbeck were two of the first women to have babies and continue playing. In 1999, they were part of the United States World Cup winning team and glossy magazine spreads featured them. Medals around their necks, kids in their arms. It gave the impression that glowing motherhood and soccer dominance went hand in hand. But that is not the global norm. Take a look at the women's game around the world and mothers have been few and far between. The majority of national teams had none. At the professional level, women's leagues have been marked by low salaries and instability. 
It's difficult to make it in the leagues in the first place, throw in motherhood, and for most, the balance is tipped towards retirement. At a national team level, countries have ever-deepening talent pools. It's harder and harder to hold on to your spot. If you get pregnant, that means months on the sideline, all while a young, hungry replacement is playing where you once were. The mothers who do go for it often face a climate of doubt. Coaches think it's too dicey to take a chance on a player undergoing both a gigantic physical transformation and a shift in priorities. But for most athletes, there's nothing more motivating than proving someone wrong. This is the story of two mums on opposite side of the world who were cut or traded and then vowed to make a comeback. This episode is The Motherlode. Here's Gwen, who found this story when she was taking care of her new baby. So I had a book deadline. I wrote while my baby slept on my chest. And during crunch time, for two months, every day I had to hand my newborn to a babysitter and walk out that door. As my three-year-old held my leg and asked me not to go. As an athlete, I learned how to give everything. But then when you're a mom, you can't necessarily give everything to your work while being the mom you want to be. But here are the stories of two women who sure inspired me to try. The tension later is rattling in Chengdu. Goalkeeper Melissa Barbieri had been on the Australian national team since she was 21 years old. She had played in three World Cups and two Olympic Games. She captained the team in 2010. Then, in 2012, she got pregnant. I was in shock for a little while because we'd only just started trying, like literally first month. And I was always told that I would have trouble getting pregnant because of my endometriosis and things like that. So a few different emotions um, hit the surface and basically I was... I was on the way to telling my coach that I was quite far along and I would have to cease playing, at least competitively, immediately. The Australian national team coach, Tom Sermani, was supportive. But during her pregnancy, Sermani left the national team and they hired a new coach. It was a female coach and I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be great. We're just going to go on leaps and bounds and all the things that we've been worrying about and I've been worrying about returning to play would just, you know, go so smoothly. And it was the complete opposite. It was it was harder. Maybe she was like me where she didn't have any experience with women having babies, but she just wrote us up completely. And for whatever reason, I lost all my contracts. They all just went out the window. But Melissa wasn't ready to give up. She asked the new national team coach if she could come to a camp just 14 weeks after giving birth. And usually after cesarean, you're not allowed to do anything for the first six weeks. So basically I'd only had maybe six weeks to get myself in any sort of shape to try and show what progress I had made post-birth. And when I turned into the training session, the first thing they asked me to do when I arrived was do a medical screening 
which is fair enough. But one of the things was you had to do a maximum calf repetition test. And anybody knows who, who does calf races for that long, they go dead and you pretty much maxed out your calf. And then I went into a training session with one other goalkeeper and had zero rest time. If I could equate it to something, it'd be like having a hit session, a HIIT session, where your 30 seconds recovery, you were made to jog the entire time or sprint and get balls and do all those things. And at one point I ran to get a ball and I sprinted up the hill and after doing that max calf test my my calf went when I got back into the office the first thing the keeper coach said to me was oh you're actually way ahead than I thought you'd be but his his look on his face was like yeah but I told you so I told you like you couldn't do it because you couldn't even push out a whole session and you know my heart sank it was broken they started talking about coaching and you know it's really better if you just start coaching and I'm like well, I don't want to coach yet okay I'm not ready for that I cried all the way home cried when I got home cried when I spoke to my husband and my mum and all that and you know just devastated really it was really really hard to fathom even so she decided to finish a coaching course she had started before even getting pregnant I got like MVP of the coaching course and you know there were a few women but majority guys were just asking me great questions about you know what I want to do and how I want to progress and things and I'm like I'm not finished playing yet and a lot of them saying oh really and I'm like yeah I just I just want to make the national team again and sometimes I'd cry and and when I became fit and healthy after the birth of my daughter I said I'm going to go for a W League contract again because you need to play in the W League to be seen you can't just do it playing in your state you have to be in the national setup to actually be seen and so I contacted every single club I said do you need a goalkeeper some of the emails were lovely they were like oh no we've already signed our keepers sorry but you know good luck good on you and really helpful and then others were like no thanks too hard basket. <laughs> yeah, we don't need a keeper when you know that they don't have a keeper. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, like I was the captain. I was the number one goalkeeper before going and having my baby. It was humbling, really. <laughs> you know, it was that moment where, well, you thought you were good, didn't you? But you're not. You're not that good. <laughs> and nobody wants you. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app.
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. She's not the only mother to have felt unwanted. On the other side of the Pacific, Amy Rodriguez, a U.S. women's national team player and Olympic gold medalist, faced a similar scenario. Despite being one of the best strikers in women's professional soccer, the WPS. Oh, goodness. Okay, so I found out I was pregnant back in 2012. I had just come off a great Olympic run. We had brought home the gold medal. It was the off-season. I was home with my husband. We weren't necessarily trying to have a child. So when we found out, we were a little bit surprised. I can remember sitting down at my computer and writing an email and probably redrafting it several times. I was about to embark on a brand new season in a brand new league with Seattle rain. My heart sank a little bit thinking I was going to have to have that conversation with my coach at the time to let them know that I would be likely out for the full next year due to a pregnancy. You know, how do I tell them this? It was so difficult to turn on the TV and watch my teammates play without me. In a weird way, pregnancy is kind of like an injury where you wish you didn't have to sit out, you wish you could be out on the field, um, but you just can't. I just knew that I didn't want to sit out anymore and I wanted to get back out on the field and lace my boots up. I had a sit-down breakfast meeting with the coach of Seattle Rain, Laura Harvey. She actually handed me a cute little baby onesie that had Seattle Rain on the front. They were so welcoming to me. I had what I felt like was faith in me from my current club and my current club coach 
Um, so leaving that breakfast, I was on cloud nine and ready to play again and ready to get back out on the field. Then about a month later, as we were ready to head into season, I actually found out the news that I had been traded, which was so surprising because just, I said, like a month earlier, you know, I was talking game plan. I was talking, you know, how I was going to reintegrate with the Seattle team. And I just was not expecting a trade to come at the time that it did. Of course, I internalize and I question myself. Um, and you just fight all of those, those bad, you know, voices in your head. I've always been so loyal and passionate about my teams. You never want to feel like you weren't wanted by your club team. I felt like Seattle didn't necessarily want to take the risk on me. The Seattle team didn't have faith that I was going to be able to bounce back from pregnancy. But in spite of those perceptions, in women's athletics, there seems to be an emerging phenomenon. Mothers who stay in the game come back faster and stronger than they were pre-pregnancy. And the shift in mental landscape makes a mother a better player, not worse. Here's what it looked like for Amy. I gained about 35 pounds, which the doctor said I was perfectly fine and healthy. But me being a professional athlete, and that was really hard to overcome. I remember thinking, how am I going to run? <laughs> you just, you feel so big and so tired and everything hurts. You're not getting any sleep. You're learning how to breastfeed. So many changes are going on with your body, the emotional roller coaster of the hormones. I think I took the voices that were in my head, you know, telling me that I wasn't going to be able to bounce back after pregnancy. I think I took those and almost used it as fuel to say, well, I'm going to show you that I shouldn't have been traded. I hit the gym very hard. I hired personal trainers. A typical training schedule for me would be anywhere between 5 and 6 a.m. workouts. I would have to try to work out before my husband went to work because he was the one staying at home taking care of the baby while I was working out. And we just juggled it all. Four months after getting back onto the field, Amy was invited to the U.S. National Team Training Camp, which starts with a set of physical fitness tests for the 30 or so players invited. They have us do 40-yard sprint times, beep tests, agility tests, vertical jump, like you name it. There was a really aggressive part of me that just wanted to get after it. When we were getting on the line, like I would want to win first place. I wanted to get to the ball first. I wanted to score all the goals. I can remember saying to myself, I have nothing to lose. Amy runs her best times ever. And in the 40 yard dash, she registered the fastest time on the team. And to show people that pregnancy wasn't going to change who I was as a player. In fact, it actually helped me as a player. I think really took people off guard and I felt a lot of support from my teammates. Amy leaves national camp and then she moves across the country to her new team in Kansas City. New baby in tow and no partner to help as she navigated a whole new life as a mother and an athlete. I had all these bags, my whole life packed in suitcases. My husband stayed in California working and living in our full-time home. And I was flying into Kansas City where I didn't know what apartment I was in. I didn't have a car. I remember landing in Kansas, arriving at the player housing and just like breaking down crying because I was just so overwhelmed and scared. Whatever shakiness she may have felt off the field... On the field, it was a different story. In her first game, she scores, 
And now the floodgates are open. Amy Rodriguez, FC Kansas City, with the stunning first goal here in the 22nd minute. My first season back after having Ryan was one of my greatest professional seasons ever. So do I think that having children actually helped me become a better goal scorer? I would say yes. Amy becomes the second leading goal scorer in the league. She takes Kansas City all the way to the league finals, where they faced off against a familiar opponent. Ironically, we actually played against Seattle in the championship that year, which was the team that had just traded me, which is kind of a funny story how things always come full circle. What a finish! Amy Rodriguez! Jill Ellis, U.S. Women's National Team, is in the stands watching this today, and this will be something she is delighted about. I ended up scoring both of our goals against the team that I was just previously traded from. It was one of the biggest highs that I've had in my career. What was even more special is that my family got to come to the game, my little son Ryan in his FC Kansas City shirt. I remember running out to them after the game had ended and carrying my son onto the field. It was one of the first times that the three of us as a little family got to experience a championship and it was because of the hard work that I had put in that made it all possible. So it was a really cool experience. The national team coach at the time, Jill Ellis, I remember her congratulating me. I think she was equally as surprised at my comeback as a lot of my teammates and fans and family were. And that actually led me into the 2015 World Cup year where I was selected as one of the players on the roster. Meanwhile, for Melissa, every single team in the Australian W League had passed on her. But she kept training anyway. My heart is sinking. It's broken. There's no way I can get a W League contract because nobody wants me. And then I get a call from one of the coaches that was on the coaching course, uh, Ross Aloisi. And Ross Aloisi says to me, look, I just got asked to do the W League team in Adelaide. And I remember how passionate you were about making the national team and I want you to come and play for me in Adelaide. And I'm like... Oh, my God, I can't believe that. And I said, oh, God, I better ask the husband and more so my mum because my mum handles Holly a lot more because my husband's always out working. And I sat down with them and I said, look, I want to continue playing. I want to do this, but I have to move to Adelaide. And my husband was, just looked at me and he said, if this is what makes you happy, then I'll do it. We'll do it. We can do it. No problem. I took Holly with me to Adelaide as soon as I could. She was about seven or eight months at the time. Kissy mummy. <laughs> and then Holly. Hello. Hello. <laughs> baby. Baby. Left my husband behind in Melbourne because he had a job and raised enough money by selling all my memorabilia. All my shirts, all my gloves, everything I owned. So posters, photos, World Cup jerseys, Asia Cup jerseys from my national team and asking A-League players or men's players and Socceroos for anything that they could donate to me. And it was really, really lovely experience how many people just sent me things, like shirts that they'd swapped with even more famous players than them team signing 
shirts, goalkeepers sending me their gloves, their boots, Borussia Dortmund kits. You know, it was endless. Imagine that. Selling off your World Cup jerseys just so you can keep playing. Between our own gear and the stuff donated by other players, Melissa raised $10,000, twice as much money as she'd hoped. She gave half of it to her teammates, who were also struggling to make ends meet. But that was just the beginning. Melissa's new team, Adelaide United, wasn't just the bottom of the league. They had not won a game in four years. They'd gone 34 games without a win. It was the longest losing streak in league history. When Melissa arrived, they won three games, tied four, and lost three. The previous season, they'd had 40 goals scored against them. In 2013, Melissa cut that down to 15. We didn't make finals or anything. In terms of where the team had been and where it was, it was absolutely fantastic. And it's probably one of the best teams that I've been involved with because we're all coming from such humble backgrounds that it really just cemented for me what football was about and how they all helped me raise Holly. I remember one training session. I had no one to look after my daughter and I thought, look, I'll just watch on the sideline and I'll look after her like it won't be a problem. And then I turned up and my friends, one of the girls, her parents are childcare owners. Like literally these two people, just angels, swept in and I opened my door and they were already at my door of my car and they said, oh, my daughter said that you need somebody to help look after your daughter today. And Holly does not go to anyone. I picked her up out of the car and she flew to the husband and she just stuck out her arms towards him and they were just like these angels that helped look after Holly inside. They changed her nappy and just looked after her like she was one of their own and it was was the best day of my life, really. At the end of the season, she is named Keeper of the Year for the W League the top division of professional club-level soccer in Australia. That was my second time winning it. I was in disbelief, really. But then I kind of just thought, thank you. And I was extremely grateful for the opportunity to be playing in Adelaide. Um, And my thought went to all the people that told me I couldn't. It doesn't matter what people tell you. It, It matters what you want to do and... Um, your strength and devotion to what you want to achieve, um, that all, all that really matters. It was a victory that got her back into the mix, competing for a spot on the national team. She remembers a conversation with the goalkeeper coach after she was awarded goalkeeper of the year, where he said, Congratulations, but, you know, that's what happens when you're in a terrible team. And I said, oh, thanks, I think. <laughs> It's just a real backhanded compliment and and I just thought, okay, so he's not going to be <laughs> one to just hand me my opportunity. Um, so I knew I still had a battle on my hands but I, and I got invited to camps um, whenever they had them in Australia. I didn't make the, um, the Asia Cup team um, that had us qualify for the World Cup in 2015. Um, you know, I was left at home uh, for that and, you know, it was upsetting and, and sad but, um, you know, it, it wasn't going to stop me from trying to make the, the national team again. I turned up every day 
in every session, even when they were telling me, you know what, you're in this training squad as a number. You're literally here as a number. We're looking to the future now. And I'm like, no problem. I'll just turn up every day, do my job, do it to the best of my ability. And at the end of the day, if you don't select me, I've done all I can and I can hang my gloves up and say, I've done what I can and I'll have no regrets. But if I don't try, if I don't do everything, if I don't sacrifice everything, I'll never know and that will hurt more. I think it's it's a matter of principle. Like I kind of think, well, if you don't think I can, then I have to. If you don't think that I'm capable, then I must. But what I love about the moments of all the times that they told me that I couldn't was how humble I became and that chip on my shoulder, the ego, if I ever had one, was completely gone. And I was just grateful for every moment that I was given to play, to train. Melissa made the team. Next, she had to tell the two people who had helped her get there the most. Really? (laughs) That's what my mum and husband said. Really? Are you sure? I said, yeah. Do you have six weeks that you can (laughs) live in my house? It was Melissa's fourth World Cup. She's only the second Australian footballer to play in that mini. She goes in thinking she'll be a sub. You don't say you're happy to be there because you're not. You want to play. It's, it's, it's a falsehood. But if you go there wanting to play and you're upset that you're not playing and that you, you, just, you just miss the point of the whole thing. So when I turned up to that World Cup, I was grateful for the opportunity. I just wanted to be the best teammate I could be. I wanted to support the number one goalkeeper. And then we turned up to the World Cup and we played a behind-closed-doors game against Switzerland. The Matildas suffered a setback in the lead-up with first-choice goalkeeper Lydia Williams succumbing to a hamstring injury. And so I'm selected to play in the first game against the USA in my fourth World Cup after having been told that I was just a number. <laughs> and this is one of the reasons why we picked Melissa Barbieri. She's just got so much experience, so much composure, great decision maker. So, you know, we've just got someone we can rely on. Meaning that after the isolation of being a new mom, after the hours of training, after fighting their way back onto the respective national team rosters... Melissa Barbieri and Amy Rodriguez would be facing each other in the 2015 World Cup. I remember in the warm-up thinking, I'm ready. (laughs) I've done all the work. I've worked through everything. And I didn't know if everyone believed I should be there until in the warm-up when the goalkeeper coach that tried to break me, um, you know, when I had Holly, came up to me and said, you deserve to be here. You've... I'm sorry for what I put you through and all this other stuff. And I made a save in the warm-up and he's like, yep, this is it. You're good. You're good to go, mate. Um, And I remember thinking, actually, I think I cried in the warm-up because I was like, yeah, it's... And I wasn't ecstatic. I wasn't, yay, I was grateful. I really was grateful. And then I just wanted to do the best I could and help my team win the game. The moment I realised this felt good, I let it out in the national anthem. Australian soul, let us 
And there's literally a photo of me belting out the national anthem with Sammy Kerr, actually. Sammy Kerr's at the other end belting it out with me. Lisa Devan is my captain at the time. She was a little embarrassed. And the kids in front, the little ball kids and the mascots were mortified at how loud I was yelling. But that's when I let it out. That was the feeling of, yeah, all of it for this, all of it for this. And I'd do it all over again for this. Scores for Australia. What a goal. Australia lost to the U.S. in that game, but both teams went on to the round of 16. And in the quarterfinals, Amy Rodriguez got the start for the U.S. in a 1-0 victory over China, while Australia lost to Japan. And the U.S. would go on to win it all. The United States of America are the 2015 World Cup winners. On July 5th, 2015, like Fawcett, Overbeck, and the U.S. mothers who came before her, Amy Rodriguez stood in a shower of confetti, her son in her arms, a World Cup champion. And we all ran out onto the field. I can remember that was like the ultimate highlight of my career. We were playing in the largest, most important soccer tournament that you could ever play in. And to know that I was a champion with my family, with my son in tow, I do think there is a stigma or a thought that women cannot be both moms and professional athletes. You need to either choose your career or your family life. And I think that that goes across so many areas in the workforce. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to do both because I think there are some moms out there and some women out there that don't have that choice and don't have that ability. But I love that we are changing that narrative. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Amy retired from pro soccer this year. As for Melissa, she's still playing in Australia's top division, which is now called the A-League. She's 42 now. And looking back, here's what she thinks. Going to the Olympics and going to World Cups and becoming number one goalkeeper of your country is amazing. And feeling all the highs and lows as an elite athlete and getting 84 caps for your country and becoming captain. And then to have a baby and all that taken away from you because you've had a baby, because you've become a mother is extremely, extremely soul-destroying because women are so anonymous with having babies. They're women, you know, one of the miracles that we can do, we can produce babies. And I had everything taken away from me. I had my captaincy taken away from me, my number one goalkeeper stripped, um, my ability to earn income. Everything was taken away. The only thing I had left was actually being a mother. And then just trying to piece yourself back together, trying to understand what makes you tick. And you're like, yeah, this is what makes me tick. I love football. I'm a footballer. I'm a goalkeeper. Playing for my national team is what I want to do. And playing and mental health for me are synonymous. I will always play this game. I will always play this game. (laughs) I wasn't going to (laughs) cry. I wasn't going to cry. I will always play this game because it's so hard. It's so hard. And you do it and then you do something amazing and then you're like, wow, I didn't know I could do that. And even if I'm walking and, you know, you play that walking soccer with the, <laughs> with the bell in the ball just in case you can't hear it and things. You just want to play because... I'm not going to go to the gym. Why do you go to the gym unless it's to get strong and fast for this? <laughs> you know, I can't do Zumba. Zumba is just not me. And my my husband's like, why? Why do you keep playing? And I'm like, I get paid to play this game. Do you get paid to go to gym? No. And I've been not paid for a very long time. So to be actually able to earn albeit part-time income from playing a sport is just ridiculous. Even if it is just to pay for the petrol that you use to get there. (laughs) These stories of mothers who were doubted, who were counted out, hung out to dry, 
and who then set out to prove everyone wrong. They're as good a comeback story as you'll find. And to be clear, it's not just Melissa Barbieri and Amy Rodriguez. Dotted all across the soccer world, there are maverick mums, charting new ground in their countries. Like Melissa and Amy, they refused to be done. People sometimes came to me and said, oh, you're pregnant, that's crazy. Your life with football, it's over. I remember like my heart burning inside of me because I was watching some girls play on TV and I was not there. And then I was like, no, I, I know that one day I will come back. That's Tamiris. She had a baby and fought her way to the Brazilian national team. For the past nine years, she's been the only mother she's played over 100 games for her country. In Japan, Azusa Iwashimizu is the only mother in the entire Japanese professional league, but she hopes to be the first of many. Yes, I'm very aware that I'm paving the way for my younger players, and I think that is one thing that is urging me to be on the pitch. It's like a mission for me. So it's okay to have a baby and retire. That's okay. But I just want to broaden options for the future players. These women made their own roadmaps and showed us what change looks like. They've fought for maternity policies in their countries and finally, systematic change has started to happen. In October 2020, FIFA, the largest governing body in soccer, globally implemented a new set of rules, including a mandatory maternity leave of 14 weeks, during which the player would receive a minimum of two-thirds of their contracted salary and a guarantee that no female player should suffer a disadvantage as a result of becoming pregnant. FIFA says its aim is to create new global minimum standards for women players all over the world, no matter which league they're playing in. With new maternity policies, nannies along the sideline and support from your family, your team and your coach, motherhood and professional sports no longer have to be an either-or thing. Last NWSL season in 2021, the Orlando Pride alone had four mothers. Alex Morgan, Ali Krieger, Ashlyn Harris and Sydney LaRue. And in 2022, Crystal Dunn, Julie Ertz, Casey Short and Ali Long all announced pregnancies. It looks as though we're in the midst of a bona fide baby boom, where the term soccer mom means something else entirely. Join us for our next episode, Nadia Nadim and the family of fighters. Hustle Rule is a production of Waffle Iron Entertainment, Range Media Partners, Observatory, Audio Up Media, and iHeartRadio. Written and directed by Gwendolyn Oxenham. Hosted by me, Hannah Waddingham, and is based on the book Under the Lights and in the Dark, written by Gwendolyn Oxenham. The executive producers are Justin Viskin from Waffle Iron Entertainment, Bo Balligan from Range Media Partners, and Sean Titone from iHeartRadio. Co-written by Ruth Hilton, produced by Gwendolyn Oxenham, Ruth Hilton, and Jordana Glick-Fransheim. Co-produced by Jimmy Jelinek and Jared Goodstart. Edited by Carrie caulfield Arick. Sound design and mixing by Jeremiah Zimmerman. Music by Jeff Peters and Bill Mart. Theme song performed by A1 LaFlair. You'll find more podcasts from iHeartRadio on the iHeartRadio app. 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.